And the main verses that I really want to be looking at are 3 to 5. And I'll just read those. And they came, sorry, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way which ye must go, by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Well, let's pray once more before we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us now. Speak to us, Lord, that we may hear and understand your word. Lord, strengthen us, encourage us, guide us, and direct us. Lord, in all these things, we pray that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, in front of us, we have this book of Joshua. Now, Joshua, I find, is quite an exciting book to read. There's, there's lots going on. And if we compare it to the time before this, when they are, the children of Israel are walking around in the wilderness, we, uh, we see a stark difference, don't we, between what they were or what the previous generation was and then what they now are. Now, the main lesson from the book of Joshua is really that there is victory to be had, but only victory through faith in God and obedience to his word. Now we come to, in in this chapter, chapter 3, we come to one of the most important events in the history of Israel, which is crossing the river Jordan. It's something that they came close to before, uh, uh, under the leadership of Moses, but that was stopped because of unbelief. Something that could have taken 11 days from leaving Egypt to getting to Jordan ended up taking 40 years because of their, their unbelief because of their doubts, because of their fears. Unbelief is such a terrible thing, isn't it? It stops us in our tracks. So crossing Jordan, as I'm sure you are well aware, it depicts in so many people's thought, it depicts death. I don't believe it does, but I don't, I don't want to contradict some of these old hymns that we all know and love. You know, there are many hymns which speak about crossing the River Jordan, and uh, they're likening it to death. But when we think about death just quickly, and if you're a believer this morning, we, you know, we'll go to heaven, won't we? There aren't going to be battles in heaven. We know there aren't going to be battles in heaven. It's going to be a, a wonderful place where there'll be no more tears, no more crying, a place of joy. But here they cross the Jordan into Canaan, and what do they find? They've got these battles, these Battles which appear to be much bigger than ever before, much bigger than anything that they were facing in, in the wilderness. So Israel, they're following Joshua. They have, they've, they've left their old life in the wilderness. That generation has now passed, and there is a new generation come up, a, a faithful generation, a generation which will only find victory through faith and obedience to God's word. Now, this is what was promised to Abraham, wasn't it? Many, many years ago. In Genesis 12, we read of the promise that God gave to Abraham that he would return 
to this place, not him himself, but his offspring. To your descendants I will give this land. Then after their 400 years in slavery in Egypt, they spent that 40 years in the wilderness, wandering, complaining against God. But now it's a new start. This new generation submitting to the word of God, to the will of God. Now this was the last stage of the exodus. This was the very end of the exodus. They were about to cross Jordan into Canaan, the promised land. This was it. This is, must have been so exciting for the, the children of Israel. But it's one thing to remember at this stage, that we read in the Bible, didn't we? We read in God's word there that it said that the Jordan was in full flood. It was that time of year that it was full flood. Everything, looked, everything seemed to be against them. They wouldn't have had a clue how they were going to cross this Jordan. They didn't have bridges, they didn't have boats or anything like that. And to be honest with you, I don't think Joshua knew himself at this stage how they were to cross until God spoke to him in this chapter. But Joshua believed, didn't he? He believed in God. He trusted in God and he knew that God would show him the way. So verse 3 and verse 4, it says... And they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, you shall remove from this place and go after it and follow it. But this is the interesting part in verse 4. It says, Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for you have not passed this way heretofore or before. Maybe I'll, I'll try and rephrase that. Basically, what the Lord is saying is saying, don't come near the ark so that you can find out what, is, what God's going to do. That's something I think that we all would like to know, isn't it? We'd all like to know the future. We'd all like to know what God is going to do. But it says, distance of 2,000 cubits. Now, I'm not a local person. I don't really know my way around Hailsham. But 2,000 cubits... It's somewhere around half a mile. So it may be from here to... Uh, not, Diplock's roundabout, is that over there somewhere? <laughs> Maybe that, you know, that's quite a distance, isn't it? That's a huge distance. They, they could hardly see it, I'd imagine. But he's telling them, do not come near it, that you may find out, that you may know what the Lord will do. It's something that, again, you know, that we want to know. But the... Um, the children of Israel, they just had one simple instruction, and that was to follow. They had to keep it in view, and they had to follow. That's all they had to do. They were not to know what God was going to take them through. And that, that shows us, doesn't it, that there's certain aspects of God's will which we are not to be delving into. So there are two aspects, really, to God's will. There's his revealed will, that which he tells us, and the, his revealed will really is that men, women, children, boys and girls, all men everywhere turn to him in repentance. The Bible clearly tells us that. That's what he, his will for you and I this morning is, that we turn to him in repentance and faith, that we turn away from our sin and look unto him and we follow him through the battles which we will be facing in this life, no matter what they are. 
And if we do that, if we follow him, if we obey him, then we will get the victory, won't we? There will be victory upon victory. There may be times when we fail, like we read later on in a few, a few chapters further on, they, they failed, didn't they, because of Achan's sin. But God's will for us is to turn to him. If you read in the book of, or uh, the epistle, not, not epistle, sorry, the, um, the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk tries to ask God's, what, what, what are you doing? Tell me, show me what you're going to do. And God said, well, no, why should I tell you? If I told you what I was going to do, you would not believe. You would not believe me. And that's something that lots of people ask today, isn't it? They ask, well, why doesn't God show himself to us? Then we would believe. But the fact is, they wouldn't believe. Years ago, when I was 19, I was late for, uh, well, I overslept, so I was going to be late for work. And you know when you, you probably know what it's like when you're late, you, sort of, you start rushing a bit. And I got in my car and I drove off. And then half an hour, within half an hour, I was strapped to a board in an ambulance because I'd been driving way too fast, trying to get to work. If I knew what was going to happen that day, I wouldn't have gone to work. If the children of Israel were to know exactly what they were to pass through, a river which would fast-flowing, which would easily sweep them away, they would not have gone. So really, the fact of the matter is about God's will. We don't need to know God's will. We need to trust him. We need to just follow him. We need to be obedient to his word. And he will give us victory. If they got too close, then they, they, they knew that they'd be crossing at a, possibly a, wide, a very wide point. The water was deep. What would you have done in that situation? I'm not a very good swimmer, so I'd probably turn back. But the fact is that they were so far away that by the time the priests actually went in, they never actually saw the river. The river stopped way upstream. They never actually saw the water. So they, it didn't matter what the hardship was. They didn't see the hardship coming. But they had a responsibility, didn't they? The, the people of Israel had a responsibility to do just as Joshua commanded them, which ultimately, of course, it was God's command to Joshua. They had a responsibility to follow, to go after, to pursue the Ark of the Covenant and to keep that Ark in view. That was very important. Like I said, that was a big distance, you know, from here to Diblox Roundabout. It's a big, it's a long distance. And you can picture maybe four men carrying something, a big box. To you, it's going to be a tiny little speck in the distance. But they had to keep that in view. Now, for you and I this morning, if you're a believer, we have a responsibility, don't we? we don't, we're not following the ark. The ark's been and gone. But what does that represent? It represents the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we follow. We don't know where he may lead, but wherever he does lead, we must follow as believers. Through thick and thin. Places, things that we would never choose to do, never choose to go, we wouldn't even like to do. But we follow him through. I remember hearing a... Um, 
uh, or watching a DVD where a, a man was sharing a testimony of how he was um, captured by some um, local uh, tribesmen and how he escaped. He was a, a flight. It may have been MAF. I can't, I can't remember now. It's quite a long time ago that, that I saw this. But he was talking about how the Lord delivered him from that situation. But it was an awful state, situation to be in. He would never have chosen to be captured by these, these, um, these tribesmen. And they took his plane and they hid it yet he was able to find it in the night and he was able to fly out in darkness. And then when he landed, he landed in pure darkness, he couldn't see. But when, he, when it was daylight, he realized that there, just not far from him, there was a huge, great sort of chasm in the ground. But he landed on this lovely, nice strip of grass. You know, he would never have chosen to do that, but God did amazing things, didn't he? So we must follow Christ through everything. And our, ta- our, our, our faith will be tested. Israel's faith was tested. Now God could have easily chosen a different time of year, couldn't he? It could have been the height of summer. The river could have been really low. It could have been really gentle, like a, like a flowing, like, a, like a, you know, a nice babbling brook or a little stream. But no, God chose a time of year when the river was high, when it was flowing fast. And the fact is, the greater the difficulty, then the greater the glory to God. The greater the battle, the greater the victory. They were going to be delivered only by the supernatural power of God. They were going to pass through that Jordan. It was only by the supernatural power of God that they would conquer Canaan and possess it and it's only by the supernatural power of God that you and I this morning can be forgiven for our sins it's only by his supernatural power that we can possess eternal life think about eternal life for, for a moment you know it's something which I I don't think really we can comprehend because we're, we've, lived only, we've only ever lived and grown up in a world of time. But we have um, you know, a friend of ours recent, re- recently in the last few days, well, just a few days ago, uh, a, a lady from church, she, she passed away. And it was very, very sudden. It was very unexpected. But it's only by... God's supernatural power that she is now with him in glory it's such an amazing thing to think about that there is life after after death but also that life after death is a gift isn't it it's a gift from God it's not something that the that we deserve that this all that God was doing for the people of Israel it was not something that they deserved but their life was to be a life of faith. And our lives this morning, there's to be a life of faith. We read later on in verse 15 that as the uh, priests, as they stepped into the Jordan, then the water stopped. Nothing happened until they stepped in. They had to get their feet wet. Or maybe the first two did. I don't know. But someone did. But they had to take that step of faith before things happened. And that's something that we have to do in our lives. We have to take steps of faith. 
Not believing that our actions will do something, but believing that God will do something. Believing that God will perform some kind of, of miracle or work in some way. We're told, aren't we, that we walk by faith, not by sight. In verse, verse 5, we are told to, or Joshua tells the people to sanctify and to consecrate themselves. Verse 5, it says, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wondrous things, wonders among you. They were to live entirely for him. I wonder this morning, how many of you would say that you are in the process of sanctifying or consecrating yourselves? And maybe how would you do that? Well, if you turn back one page to um, chapter 1, and we read in there, don't we, that God tells the people that they are to live in the Word of God or what they had of it at that time. It says, do not let the law pass from you. And that's something that we must be, we must do. We must be obedient to God's word. We must immerse ourselves in this book. We don't, I think we don't really understand what a blessing this is, what a blessing it is to have such a book, which is complete. Back then, they didn't even have the complete works. We have the complete works of God here in front of us. Yet how often do we not bother to read it? We can't be bothered. I'm not pointing the finger. If I am, if I do point the finger, I've got three pointing back at myself, haven't I? You know, I can't point at anybody. I'm just as guilty as the next man. But we are to live entirely for him, his, for him to let his word rule our lives. Does that describe you this morning? Do you know him? Do you know God? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour? Does it affect the way you live your life? Does it affect the way you walk and talk with people? It's a life of surrender to God, sacrifice unto him. Paul says in, when he writes to, to Timothy, he says, No soldier is to get entangled with civilian pursuits. Because he has an aim, and that aim is to please the one who has basically enlisted him, God. If you're a believer this morning, then we have been enlisted into his service. And we must seek to please him, to honor him, to glorify him. It says in, in verse 8, it says, I believe, yeah, this book of the law, in chapter 1 this is, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Do we meditate on God's word day and night? Some of us perhaps have been disobeying God all week. But we've come to church today and we expect God to bless us in some way. We want him to bless us some way, and even though we have been disobedient. You know, we have prayer meetings for revival, don't we? 
yet how long do we actually pray for? We may get together in the week and we pray for about half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. But if you read of revivals that happened years ago back in, in, in Wales in the early 1900s and way before that to the times of Reformation, we'll see people, they will spend hours and hours and hours praying to the Lord really earnestly seeking God's face, earnestly seeking that God would hear their prayers and that God would perform. But they also believed, didn't they? They believed that as they were praying to God, that God would answer their prayers. And when people pray, it's not like nothing happens. When people pray to God, amazing things do happen. In um, 2 Chronicles 7.14, we read this, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. He does amazing things. When his people pray to him, that's when he does it. And it, it's not just then. It has, his power hasn't diminished in not one iota. He still does amazing things today. There's a book, I think it's written by a chap called John, John Payton. And he tells a story of a man, a missionary in New Guinea. And this man was, at the early part of his missionary, he was camping in a tent near a village of tribes, uh, a tribal village. And he slept fine. Uh, nothing happened. And it wasn't until years later, after a number of these tribesmen tribesmen had actually been converted that he found out what happened one particular night. Now this is, this is true, a true story, so don't think I was too amazing to be true. This is true. But after some of these tribesmen were converted, they told this man that one day when he was sleeping in his tent outside the village, they'd planned to go and kill him. They planned to just go into his tent while, tent while he was asleep and murder him. But as they arrived near the tent, they saw, I can't remember the exact number, but let's, let's say 17. They saw 17 men all guarding the tent. And they were all armed. They were all strong-looking men, almost angelic. But he knew nothing about that. And then one day when he went home, I think it was England or America, he told his pastor about this, this very this very event, and he can actually pinpoint the date when the tribesmen told him which day it was, obviously. And do you know what the pastor did? The pastor went and got his diary and said, what, what date was that, that that happened? And he said, oh, it was such and such a day of, of such and such a month. And he got his diary out, he flicked through the pages, and he found that very date, and he said, ah, and how many uh, angels did they say that they saw? 17. Well, we had 17 people here that, at our house that day praying for you. Isn't that amazing? No, we pray to God. Amazing things happen. It still happens today. Israel, they followed, they continued in faith, and amazing things did happen, didn't they? This water, the river stops. And the river stops not literally just where they are, but it stops way upstream. So none of them can see it. And the priest stood on, it says, dry ground. It doesn't say it was like a silty riverbed. It says dry ground. 
and everyone was able to walk across in safety. All those that followed Joshua, all those that were, that were loving and obeying, made it across on dry ground, just as God said they would do. You know, all these things, all these things in the Old Testament, they point us to Christ, don't they? The ark, Joshua himself, point us to Christ. Joshua is the same name as Jesus, isn't it? Yeshua. It means God, Yahweh, is Savior. And Jesus came into this world to lay down his life, didn't he? To lay down his perfect life. To suffer the wrath of Almighty God for sinners. Sinners like you and me. Just as that Ark of the Covenant went into that river and stopped that flow that would easily, so easily sweep all of them away to destruction. The Lord Jesus Christ has stopped God's wrath, hasn't he? From sweeping us to destruction in hell. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered upon that cross so that sinners could pass from death to life from darkness to light. We read in, 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 this, in this chapter that he will, it says, without fail, drive out our enemies from before us. Now, there will be failings on our, on our part. We will fail. We do fail. We failed even today. We turn, turn the page to uh, chapter 6 or 7, and uh, we see that there's there's failure because of the sin of one man. But that sin gets sorted out and they, they go back and they have a victory again. It says, He will without fail drive out our enemies from before us. The battle is the Lord's. And the battle's already been won. If you turn to chapter 5 and we read this wonderful passage, I think it's chapter 5, where uh, Joshua is... He's standing and he's looking at the walls of Jericho. And there is this huge city, this formidable city. And what does he see? He sees an angel before him. And he says to the angel, he says, Are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel replies to him, a bit of a funny reply really. It says, He says, No, I am commander of the armies of the Lord. In other words, you're asking the wrong question. The question is not whether God is on your side or the side of your enemies. The question you should be asking yourself is, are you on the right side? Are you on God's side? Now, I remember at school, I, would, um, I, I, mean, I'm not, I don't follow football at all, really. I couldn't care less about Man United now. But I used to support Man United, and people used to mock me at school because they think I, they thought I supported Man United purely because they won all the time. At the time they were. This was 94 or 95. But, let's, but to be honest with you, I'd want to be supporting a team which I know is going to win. We are told that Christ has conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. He's already won the battle. Do you not want to be with him? You don't want to be punished with Satan in hell for an eternity 
Because that's what, is, that's what we deserve as sinners. That is what we will get if we do not turn to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and repent and believe. In verse 3, we read that the people, when they saw the ark, they were to get up and they were to follow. I wonder this morning, in that passage that we've read, can you see the Lord Jesus Christ? If you can, and if you do, if you understand how this points us to Christ, will you follow him? Are you following him? I hope and pray that we all are following him this morning. But we are told, aren't we, to get up and to go after, to follow him, to go after him. Now remember, they had to keep quite a distance. They couldn't, and there were, there were thousands of people. Those at the front had a good view, even though that may have been just a speck. But those at the back hardly saw a thing. You know, sometimes it may be difficult for us to actually see and understand what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing in our lives, how we are to act, how we are to, to follow. But, but that's what we've got to do. We've just got to follow. It doesn't matter about our, our poor understanding. We are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it's sometimes so difficult for us to see. Isaiah 45, verse 22 says, Look unto, look to me, look unto me and be saved, all, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. There is no other Savior beside the Lord Jesus Christ. So come to him today if you have not come already let's pray dear Lord God we thank you for your word we thank you for this this account in Joshua and we pray father that you would help each of us here this morning to put our trust in you to get up to follow you to follow you wherever you lead and whatever we may go through Lord we pray that we would not care because we are following our Savior and we are doing, we believe as you command us. So Father, help us to have faith. Increase our faith this morning as we look unto you. Especially, Lord, as sometimes it may be difficult for us to see and to understand. But Lord, increase our faith, we pray. And save us each. Pass none of us by as we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our last hymn This morning is 474. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Let's stand and sing 474.